Hi, I'm Jennifer Love of the Living Wealthy Institute, and this is The Nature of Money Show. My mission as a money therapist is to empower leaders to end what I call emotional poverty and to grow their internal net worth right alongside growing their investments and businesses, ultimately to live wealthy. I'm excited to share these stories with you. And so subscribe right now to The Nature of Money wherever you find podcasts to get episodes as soon as they drop. September 2011, I was laying in my bed in New York, Long Island, and I got a call. It was a series of calls, actually, and I was like, oh, something's not right. Something's off. So I picked up the phone and heard the words that my mom's house was on fire and burning down from a lightning strike. There was a propane tank that was sitting next to the garage and the lightning storm, one of the lightning bolts hit the propane tank, which set the garage on fire. Their garage roof just caved in on the car that was filled with a tank of gas that went off like a bomb and set the rest of the house on fire. And so as much and as hard as the firemen were working to save the house, or at least a good part of it, it burnt to the ground. And very little was able to be saved. It was very random things actually that was saved. And it was a devastating moment in our life. It was the home that I had finished the last couple of years of high school in, because I believe that our inner critic is much like that lightning bolt. Her inner critic is like the bitch inside of us. She is the one that is angry, frustrated. She's gone rogue. She's super, super sad. Um, and really, that comes from that deep sense of trying to survive. It's the survivalist part of us that's trying to keep us alive. I often refer to it when I'm working with clients as the negator voice. In psychology, it's referred to as the negative self-evaluation. Um, but this inner critic, she is diminishing all that we've done, all of our accomplishments, all of our great effort that we put into things. And she's pushing us into a comparison mode, comparing ourselves to other people, which at the end of the day, it keeps us stuck. It makes us feel bad about ourselves. It's stripping away our confidence. It's stopping us from taking the calculated risks with our finances and our business, in our life, putting ourselves out there, developing friendships or connections and community. Is your mental chatter keeping you poor? Well, I'm here today with a group of high-achieving female founders who share what their inner critic sounded like. So we're going to explore what that sounds like, where it came from, and how they changed their core beliefs. I also invited Mario Martinez, who is a biocognition expert, to discuss the power we have over our minds so that we can change our core beliefs. But first, let's hear from Sage Levine. Sage is the founder and CEO of Women Rocking Business Training Company, who reaches over 100,000 women around the globe 
And through her business, she has raised over a million dollars for women humanitarian projects supporting girls in third world countries. So it's no surprise that Sage has reached Inc.'s 5,000 list. Here's Sage. So my inner critic thinks I'm not cut out for it. I'm not tough enough. I wasn't an athlete when I was a kid. Um, I was just more delicate than the other kids. I cried a lot more. I was more sensitive. And so my inner critic is really good at telling me, you're not cut out for this. You know, you're not as strong as they are. Uh, You can't do this. And I remember over the years that turned into a major fear of burnout. And I would hear about women burning out. And I was so frightened that my body was just going to collapse under the pressure of building a business and that there was no way I could hold this thing up. And a couple years into my business, my marriage fell apart. And I started to actually have some very real health symptoms that were pointing toward burnout. The lightning bolt, the lightning storm that is the inner critic inside our head that is taking over our financial confidence and destroying it. Now, lightning comes from a culminous parent cloud. And so wherever there are these thunderstorm clouds that are formed, how they're being formed is from the warmth of enough upward air motion that then meets the charge of some moisture in the air and it creates a connective instability. And so the cloud grows, the moisture in the cloud cloud is growing, developing this deep cloud that then reaches up to, you know, really, really cold levels, like even beyond freezing. And so the warmth charge, the cold charge are meeting and it's like a spark. And there's the lightning that then goes down. Sometimes, sometimes it's happening inside the clouds themselves or between the clouds, but it's also happening with the cloud in the earth. And it's like this boom, right? That can then destroy and take over. Now there's some pretty cool stuff about lightning storms and lightning clouds, but as it relates to the inner critic, it's destructive. It destroys much like it burnt down my mother's home. It takes us out. It takes over. By destroy us, I mean our ability to actually flourish in our life. It blocks us from a growth mindset. If you haven't read Carol Dweck's book, um, Growth Mindset, it's a really great place to start to learn about the growth mindset. And how we often have a fixed mindset. The inner critic is about that fixed mindset. It it lives in the land of fixedville. And it blocks our ability to be willing to put ourselves out there. To take appropriate calculated financial risks. To believe that we can save and invest in things for ourselves. Because again, the inner critic is telling us that we're not good enough, we're not doing enough, we're not worth it, we don't know how, I can't, right? Fill in the blank, 
whatever it is for you. And those disempowering beliefs of the inner critic are a key part of what is keeping us stuck. Yeah, the stories, the voice. Well, it's a nasty one. Um, It's definitely unwholesome. And yet it's coming from this sweet, protective one inside of us, this sensitive one inside of us, the one inside of us that is wounded and traumatized, who hasn't fully processed her emotional pain. And she sounds like, I'm not good enough, or I'm a failure, or I'm selfish, or I should be along further already, or I'm not doing enough, or it's my fault, or should I give up, or I can't, or I should be over this by now, or I'm fat and ugly, I'm not working hard enough. I'm wasting my life. I don't deserve this success. No one likes me. I'll be found out. I can't be alone. I'll never succeed. Attention is bad. I'm useless. I'm weak. I'm crazy. That's what she sounds like. And in that, in any of that, what do we feel like when we say that to ourselves? We feel defeated. We feel angry. We feel resentful. We're filled with fear. And we don't know how to move forward. Our inner critics are strong. And so the impact of these disempowering beliefs are wreaking havoc all over our financial life. Because believe you me, if you're not being creative, if you're not playing, if you're not having fun, you are blocking your ability to not only live wealthy, but to exist and be wealthy. Next up is Emily Fletcher. Let's hear from Emily and her story. Again, Emily is the founder of Ziva Meditation, and she's a leader in performance meditation. Amongst her students are Oscar and Grammy and Emmy Award winners and Navy SEALs and NBA players. She's been named one of the top 100 women in wellness to watch and has spoken at Apple and Google and Harvard Business School. Here's Emily. It's very challenging for me to speak my truth to other people when I know it will disappoint them. I will suffer. I will do it myself. I will do whatever it takes just to avoid an uncomfortable conversation. It must come from some sort of criticism of myself or not trusting myself. I feel like if, if I did love and trust myself more, it, it must be easier to have these conversations. So it's interesting that I feel like I love myself and I, I feel like I'm nice to myself even. And yet to have the courage to disappoint someone else is terrifying to me. The inner critic really is about protection. We evolved over time to protect ourselves so that we could continue to thrive, develop, turn into, transform into something better, something greater, right? That's that what that's what viruses do that's what bacteria does that's what we do we are made up of these things the elements of the earth 
And so as we evolved from this like hunter-gatherer, you know, protecting tribe, shame to inform, live in social norms, keep out things that are going to threaten a position in a group, right? We want to never feel alone. Boy, that's a big one. We want to never feel alone. And I find that it's most of my clients, most of them are either acutely for sure, or most, they have chronic loneliness because they're not willing to move beyond. They're not willing to express who they really are because the inner critic is keeping them stuck in this sense of like, if I leave, if I say, if I do this thing, then I'm going to be alone. Or I'm so alone and I'm so sad and I don't know how to get out from this place and let myself and my sadness or my anger be seen. Again, the inner critic keeping them stuck. Without friends, without community, it is, it is like taking a plastic bag wrapping a rubber band around the end and like hoping that more oxygen's going to get inside. Like it's just not going to happen. But our inner critic is keeping us away from those kinds of deep connections and community because she's afraid. And then she shames us. She shames us because of the I'm not good enough or I'm not doing enough or I don't know how to. And she gets into all kinds of like really nasty and wholesome stories that she tells us about herself that most of are not true. And back joining us is Kinney Quinter, the former Morgan Stanley financial advisor who's now the CEO of The Presidential Lifestyle and a national certified counselor and hypnotherapist specializing in stress management. And Kinney, I want to ask you again, what does your inner critic sound like? My inner critic is so gentle because my mom is so gentle. And the one one time I ever remember... Um, just what I felt like was disappointing my mom. She doesn't even remember the story. So clearly she wasn't disappointed. But when I thought I disappointed my mom, she said, oh, Kenei. And it just broke my heart. I don't know why. And so that's what my inner critic says when I'm disappointed in myself. So when the inner critic says, oh, Kenei, really she's saying you didn't live up to who you were supposed to be. and there's more in you and I don't see it and you're not showing up is what she's saying. And it's just wrapped in those two words. And one of those words being my name, which is the strongest word ever. And so when you put that, O and even the tone of that, O with the disappointing sound, it just sounds like she wanted more from me and I didn't give it to her. And most of the time that makes me feel like I didn't do my best, like there was something else I could do. And if I feel like I didn't do my best, then I probably didn't. And when I didn't, I'm like, all right, now you got to do double work, right? You got to make up for what you didn't do. 
The inner critic is about the past. The inner critic is also about, so it's, it's the pain of the past and it's the fear of the future, which is robbing us of the present and actually living in the moment. She is this inner critic formed when we were kiddos. You know, our beliefs around these things are formed in the undernourishment of the different aspects of ourself. There are unmet needs, their wounds, their traumas, the, the sweet, sensitive one who has the scar on her that she doesn't know how to see beyond. Now, I had a mother who said to me growing up, you can do anything you put your mind to. And she would say that over and over again to me. And I believed it. It's like, I can do anything I put my mind to. <laughs> and and I can and I do in lots of ways and yet there was another aspect of that that I, I took on which was I gotta do all myself I gotta do this all by myself <laughs> oh my goodness and that's that's the inner critic voice too she's keeping us away from the things that will really help us thrive. Let's also hear from Lauren Powers now. Lauren's back. She's joined us for a couple of episodes. Lauren is a former figure model, CrossFit coach, and nutrition educator turned 10-year entrepreneur. She launched her Atlanta-based outdoor boot camp, Total Fitness Revolution, in 2008, and that's become a fitness empire. And Lauren is also the managing partner of a multi-million dollar medical marketing agency based in Chicago, and she privately coaches other inspiring entrepreneurs in starting and growing a new business. And Lauren, what does your inner critic say to you? My inner critic has said to me many times, like, Lauren, you are so fake. And like Atlanta is a city of foolishness, of a lot of, you know, I'm, I don't know if the persons are real or not, but, you know, people just living these really extravagant lifestyles and then going home to a shithole. And it's easy to get caught in, in that, like, you know, you got to have a certain purse or drive a certain car or, you know, live in a certain neighborhood. It's very easy to get caught up in that and get into debt, get into debt as a result of trying to keep up with that very fake lifestyle. And for me in business, a lot of people look up to me or without even really knowing, you know, the, the, the inner workings of how I run my home or where I really live or, you know, if this is like Target or Lululemon. Um, and, I, and I found myself, even in my younger days, changing certain aspects of myself to keep up with this random vision that people had of me. Like, I don't know why people think I should be Louis Vuitton now. I just found myself getting sucked into that to keep up with an image that people had of me. And my inner critic would be like, wow, you're so fucking fake. So I've had to release, release that. Isn't it true? So many of us are trying to live into the vision that someone else holds for us. And then our inner critic gets all wrapped up in that. 
And as Lauren wraps up here, let's listen to what Ingrid Macher's voice sounds like. Ingrid, what were some of your limiting beliefs? I don't speak good English. I can't write in English. I can't make a phone call. I don't know how to approach people. To the one day, I was realizing that I was my own enemy. That my thoughts, actually, they weren't serving me. They were stopping me for do what really God wanted me to do in this world. So I changed that voice. Instead to think about what other people told me when I was a little girl, that they always say, you're not good enough, you're not going to do this, you're not going to be able to do that. I start telling myself, you know what? I'm just going to try and see what happened. I'm just going to do my best, you know? I want to, I, I, you can do this. You just have to jump. So every day I jump to something new, and I tell myself, if I do good, I say, yes, you did good. If I tell bad, I say, oh, well, I can do the best next time. But try sometimes the stopping the ball, the boys, they, they try to get you negative. For some people, it's hard. For me, I remember when I was a little girl, I look at myself in the mirror. I go and watch this very popular Mexican movie. And there was a little girl that she was looking at herself in the mirror and she was making like faces because she wanted to be an actress. So... I remember when I came back to my house, my mom, it was furious because we escaped to the movie without asking permission. And she was really bad. She was punished, giving like a big punishment to me and my sister. But from that day, I learned to win in the mirror. I went to do all those faces. And I was repeatedly, constantly saying to myself, one day you are going to be famous. One day you're going to serve so many people in the world. You are beautiful. You're strong. You can do this. And you know what? I always remember this. When I do interviews for many TV uh, shows or when they invite me to do, they talk about my life. I always bring that movie because it got in myself like an anchor. They, they reminded me that when something or some voice try to get me down, I can always go back to the mirror and say, hey, remember what you said? You were going to be famous, so let's practice. Ingrid has just pointed to a very crucial point, that you, you have the power to change your inner critic voice. It's that mirror, mirror on the wall who is the fairest of them all. Hmm. Looking into the mirror of yourself, what do you see? Looking into the mirror, what do you hear? When we are sitting down and listening to ourselves, when we're sitting down and looking at things that are tough, rough, rumbling us around, then we get a choice to say, hey, do I want to keep wrestling in that way? Do I want to keep letting the fear of my financial life run my life? Or do I want to choose something different? I believe the inner critic has the power to help us to give us value and to see things that maybe are not working for us. And to stop and pause and look and say, hmm, 
Maybe this thing that I'm running away from is actually my friend. And if I just sit down and listen to how I'm being unconsciously controlled by this thing I'm trying to win or like run away from, then maybe it'll just stop wreaking havoc in my life. And that's really what I see with my clients. I see that the moment that they start to really become conscious of that inner critic that's running them unconsciously, that's wreaking havoc all over their financial lives, that their life begins to pause and begins to shift and move another direction in a direction that they're choosing for themselves, that they actually desire. Our inner critic tends to be very dark because it's where we house our shame. It's where we house our blame. It's where we house our judgment. And so does overcoming it mean getting rid of the darkness? No. It means walking with the darkness in love, in compassion, in kindness, in grace. And by listening to, being with, comforting, and flipping the script, you can change the story of your life. I've brought in Mario Martinez here. Mario is a biocognition neuroscientist, and he has got some powerful information to share with us. Mario, thanks for joining me. Uh, Biocognition is a a science that I developed uh, theory and practice in 1998 uh, to bring together several disciplines that are not really communicating with each other. It's a, uh, a science that looks at how mind and body communicate with each other in a culture. And cultures are very different, uh, of course. And the brain learns the culture and the brain responds to the cultural parameters where, where it lives. And then the immune system responds to that uh, as if it's understanding the culture component. So if the best way to look at it is if you see the world as a, as a potential for all kinds of interpretations. The culture would be like the uh, fabric that it's woven around the world. So the brain will see the fabric rather than just some kind of monolithic world. And then since the immune system had developed into picking up symbols, it responds to the brain based on the culture that it assimilated. So the brain is cultural and the immune system is cultural. All science comes out of frustration. I was very frustrated with, with the way that uh, that things are being explained, and that uh, that especially reductionistic science uh, looks at uh, people as some kind of a me- uh, mechanical, biochemical entity, and that's not what we are. We are much more than that. We're beings that 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 respond to symbols, that respond to meaning, and that came after we developed our consciousness about maybe one hundred and thirty thousand years ago where language came about, and, and anthropologists would say that, that consciousness started when, um, when we began to bury our dead, and we began to make trinkets rather than functional tools. So those two things require a lot of cognition, a lot of abstraction, and that's when consciousness came in. And then language came in, and the brain had to adjust to just living in survival mode into meaning mode. So the brain adjusted, and then the immune system will adjust and will respond accordingly to the kinds of symbols that we learn in our in our lives. So symbols are very important. What we say is very important. So um, that was the idea of how to really move beyond reductionistic science. Well, shadow is very important because shadow is really the the unresolved issues that you have. And shadow 
will usually have one of the three archetypal wounds. So in biocognition, I, I do a lot of union work also uh, and bring it into biocognition. So the shadow is, is one of the demons of shame or the demon of, of abandonment or the, the demon of, of, uh, uh, of um, uh, betrayal, because that's the only way that you can actually be hurt with those three. Fortunately, the only three. So you have to go to the shadow and, and actually by doing these techniques that I talked about, in a way you're going to your shadow. But one of the things you can do also is you can find what is the archetype. When I go to the shadow, what archetype do I see myself in? The servant, the slave, uh, the buffoon, whatever it is. And then you bring in an archetype from the antidote, the hero, the protector, uh, whatever it is. And then you begin to deal with it using the, the archetypes. And it works even better because you're, you're dealing with shadow work that you bring to, to surface knowing that the shadow work has dynamics. It has a terrain. Uh, that it can live in that terrain. And when you change that terrain, it becomes incompatible and it kind of begins to go away. But also you learn from your shadow. You learn what is it that, uh, especially when someone tells you something negative and you over-respond to it. So somebody says, you gain some weight and you get extremely angry. And the reason is that there's a shadow there. There's a part of you that says you, you have gained some weight and you don't like it and you don't know what to do about it. So you go back to that and say, what can I learn from this? Well, I can learn that maybe this person is saying th something to me that's touching my shadow, is touching my my helplessness. Well, then what do I do? I ask myself, uh, am I overweight? Do I want to do something about it? Yes. I don't want to do something about it? Okay, then I don't have an option to go into shame because I decided that I'm not going to do anything about it. See, the agency is really important. Taking responsibility. Mario has nailed a really key point here that we've discussed in some of our other episodes. That's sovereignty and self-responsibility, taking ownership for our choices by actually consciously making a choice. The only way we can do that is through self-examination and knowing what's there, knowing what's true, knowing those unconscious inner critic voices, belief systems that are running our show. Yeah, one of the things I say as I've been growing my own businesses, but also helping clients in growing their businesses and, and their financial lives and developing that wealth in their lives, it's like, you've got to be able to eat risks for breakfast. You cannot let the fear of the unknown paralyze you from being able to take action because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have quote unquote failures, but in the reframing of those failures as, Oh, again, I'm just in the experimentation lab. I'm in the science lab with my hat on as a scientist and I'm figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And so taking calculated risks are fundamental to accelerated growth and momentum. And I get it. I get that standing at that crossroads in your life, standing at the calculated like crossroads of your life where you know in your heart, you know in your gut, you know with all the essence of your being which road to walk down. But you don't know that road. You don't know what's there. You don't even... You feel like you, this is the story. You feel like 
you don't even know how to be down that road, even how to walk down that road or what you're going to find down that road, right? Keep on going. But that's part of like, if we, if we sit with that and say, well, wait a minute, this can be the greatest adventure of my life. Or I can just let myself be completely overwhelmed and terrified and, and stuck in a, a paralysis. Like, again, there's a choice. And I don't know, but for me and for the clients that I work with, I'm like, come on, let's go on the adventure. And that adventure requires us to walk with our fear. It's not about not having fear. This is the thing I've learned over the years. It's about fearless. It's fearlessness. Fearlessness in and of itself, the word carries fear with it. It is walking with the fear. But it is not without, it is not not being able to move through. So that is the calculated risk. So much of what is underneath not wanting to or um, feeling like we can't take a risk is because of our fear. And so let's just dance and walk and adventure with, with the, the path that is unknown That's how we sit with taking risk. Our inner critic has the ability to keep us poor, keep us in scarcity, keep us stuck. I mean, if we're talking about risk, our inner critic can keep us from taking risk or taking inappropriate risk, which absolutely affects our financial decision-making and and what's happening in the growth of our wealth. Our inner critic, because it's comparing, because it's personalizing everything, because it's shooting all over us, or because it's labeling and generalizing our life and who we are, we minimize ourselves. If you squeeze yourself forward, bend forward and like squeeze yourself and say, I am so happy. You don't feel that happiness, but if you do the opposite and you open your arms and you let your arms go up into the air and I'm kind of back, like you're using your arms like wings you look up to the sky and you lift your chest and your chest and heart are forward and upward and you say my life sucks it's kind of hard to believe it because what happens with the inner critic it's like it's a curling in like the rose of jericho that's just it curls in when it dries up and dies quote unquote dies And yet when you give it that life force, when you give it what it needs, the water, the mist, it opens up and it becomes alive again. And that's what happens. That's what our inner critic is doing all over our financial life. When we compare ourselves, we are hmm, diminishing our accomplishments. It's like, I'm not good at growing money because fill in the blank, right? If we're comparing ourselves to other influencers on social media, for example, 
So then it's like this defeatist attitude of, well, why should I even try? What's the point? Or if we're personalizing everything, it's like, it's my fault that this doesn't work, that my loved ones are unhappy, or that my sales aren't growing the way that I want them to grow. It's my fault that we didn't get more sales because fill in the blank. What ends up happening is it leads us to things like overworking, burning out, and expecting the same of our team and becoming demanding, that demanding bitch, right? We don't have to do that. We don't need to be that. And that ultimately ends up robbing us of money in our bank, whether that's because we don't have the capacity in ourselves to have innovation and creativity and to really be present and to really lead and guide our team appropriately. Or a whole slew of other reasons. And when we're like saying things like, you know, it's like the labeling and generalizing that we do in our life with the inner critic. It's like, I'm always late, right? As you're walking into, you know, a sales meeting five minutes late. But maybe actually what's true is that 80% of the time or more you are actually on time. But in that moment, as the inner critic is coming out, as you're walking into that sales meeting, it's taking your focus away from being present with this potential person who wants to purchase something from me because they need something because you can help them. You're focusing on what's going on for you and how you're not good enough or how you know, pissed off you are with yourself because you're five minutes late. And ultimately, how do you think that goes in the sales meeting? How are you showing up? Not awesome. It's not going to be an awesome sales meeting. And so our inner critic has the ability to keep us in emotional poverty, financial poverty, scarcity, all the things that we say that we don't want, and yet we do. We have the power, we have the choice to create our own reality. I want to underline that, bold it, capitalize it, and have three exclamation points after that. Please land that. Please know that. And if that doesn't feel true for you, if that feels foreign to you, that's okay. Let that permeate, sit with it, and just kind of walk with that in your days and weeks coming. You can choose your own reality. And back over to Kanae Corridor. Kanae, how did you tame your inner critic? So it it could shift me back into hard work, Kanae, if I let it. But these days, having done so much work, it doesn't shift me back into hard work, Kanae, because I'm bigger than she is now. So when she says, oh, Kanae, my response is, okay, yeah. Like I didn't do my best. Sometimes that happens. (laughs) I got tomorrow or later today. So I tame my inner critic by just letting her know mistakes happen. You know, it's okay. Because that's what happened for the story with my mom. It was just a mistake. I dropped something and it was important to her. And I felt like, oh my God, I did the worst thing. She doesn't even remember the thing I dropped. She doesn't remember any of it. So it wasn't the biggest deal. You know, that's how we are as kids. We make these interpretations. And so it wasn't the big deal that I thought it was. And so I kind of felt like I dropped the ball 
and that feeling comes back up. But to tame her, I just say, you know, mistakes happen. Let it go. Working with our inner critic doesn't require us to erase it. And for most of us, it's enough just to adjust the proportion of the inner voice that we're listening to and give more attention to the inner nurture inside of ourselves to really listen to our needs. So let me repeat again. You don't need to get rid of your inner critic voice. You simply want to put it in the back so that it's not in the driver's seat of your life. We don't really spend enough time actually examining what our truth is. And so if we want to tame our inner critic, these are what the things that we need to do. Give it a voice, listen to it, comfort it, and flip the script. Now let's hear next from Lee Richer. Again, a real-life superwoman who confronted her beliefs about money at an early age of 21. Lee Richer is an award-winning innovator and the visionary recognized by the San Francisco Business Times in their top 100 women business leaders and featured on the top 100 fastest-growing businesses in the San Francisco Bay Area. As a CEO, a best-selling author, a studio producer, and member of the Forbes Business Council, Lee's passion is to connect with innovative leaders making a global impact. And so let's, let's hear Lee's take on her inner critic. I'm really lucky that my brain does not really have an inner critic. I know it doesn't seem possible, but I've had brain scans and I actually have a very optimized positive brain. And I went through a near fatal car accident and to get to the other side, my brain absolutely saved me. But what I've learned is, is just empower your thoughts and empower your actions and empower your words to take you where you want to go. So in the past, I mean, everyone on the planet has the, am I worthy? We all have that universally somewhere in our life or am I worthy of being with this person? Am I worthy of that car? Am I worthy of this experience? Am I worthy of investing $10,000 in a three-day event? We all have that. So I think what you do and what I've done in the past is just tell myself I'm worth it and that's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And by getting through that near-fatal car accident, what I learned is, is every day is so important in our life every single day. I mean, for an entire year, I could not walk. And just getting out of bed and walking was so important. It took me to the cellular level of what is important in life. And don't waste another minute. Just don't waste any time doing things that aren't empowering for you. My friend Brandy Gilmore taught me every single story that I have to look for the highest point, the proof of the love, to look for all the things that make me feel the best and end the story there. And now I look at childhood stories and I can see, wow, maybe we went to Disney and for the first three days it was great. But on that fourth day, my brother did this and made me upset or my mom disappointed me. She's like, well, end your story on the third day. That's where you felt the best. Choose your stories so they take you to a better future. The ones that don't take you to a bigger and brighter future, leave them out. It's your brain. Train it to think and look for the good. So Lee, at such an early age, was able to rewire her brain by flipping the script. And that has made such a significant difference for her, as you just heard. One of the things that I I do in some of my workshops is help to externalize the inner critic. 
so that we can see that it is not actually who we are. It is just a facet of what is running the show. It's a story. It's a lightning bolt. And so I have clients create the character of their inner critic. In this way, we can reimagine it as something external and not intrinsic to our own identity. And the whole experience then helps create some distance between you and that inner critic negative voice. When we give it a voice, when we really listen to our inner critic, things begin to shift. We all want to be listened to. What are we feeling and why are we pushing it away? Bring it in closer. Sit down next to it. Put your arm around your inner critic and say, hey, what's going on in there? And you can do that by journaling. Because not dealing with it, that's what's keeping us stuck in our thoughts, in our patterns. But your willingness to unpack it, what those beliefs, what the inner critic really is underneath it, what the thread is coming from, You get to look at it and say, well, wait a minute, is this even true? Part of the work I do in these workshops is like, it's like, we unpack that. We really look at it and your brain wants to believe it's true because that's the patterning it's accustomed to. It's like, you have to retrain your brain, like training a puppy over and over and over and over and over again. And, and, and a big part of what helps you do that is by seeing underneath it. And that's where you really need that help to like really look underneath what's true for yourself so you can get in practice of that. And your inner critic needs comfort. There's a reparenting of our inner child. That little sweet sensitive one that has some unprocessed emotional pain that needs to be sorted through. Because I will tell you my friends, It does not just go away. It just gets louder and comes out in other ways, whether that's through your physical self, right? It's coming out in disease. Or it's coming out in how you're behaving. Or it's coming out through your, you know, your inner critic voice and blocking you from living wealthy, from feeling wealthy, from being wealthy. It's creating all this anxiety and buzziness inside of you. So much anxiety. So we've got to go back and look. We've got to go back and sort through, but we don't have to. Often people are like, but I don't want to stay stuck there. And I'm like, I know me neither. (laughs) We don't have to. We don't need to stay stuck there. How do we not stay stuck there? We attach to the future by living right here in the moment. Now, I know that was an oversimplification. I get it. But that really, but it really is that simple. It just doesn't feel that simple. That's why we need support with this work. We can flip the script to what is actually true. Flip it flip that inner critic on its head and be like, let me see your underbelly. What's really going on over there? Because so often that inner critic is about deep care, deep love. And if you're curious about what I'm talking about, like come have a conversation with me. I'll show you this. 
I'll show you how that's true. And so may you allow yourself to sit with, dance with, play with, go on the adventure of your life with your inner critic and flip the switch, flip the script and choose again. Join us in our next episode where we delve more deeply into what I call the upper limit effect. Thank you so much for listening to the Nature of Money show of the Living Wealthy Institute. I'm your host, Jennifer Love. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you to all of my guests who courageously and openly share their stories and wisdom. I'd also love to thank my entire team at the Living Wealthy Institute, of which whom, without you, this show would not exist. And if you'd like support with identifying how your harmful narratives are blocking you from feeling worthy or valuable or whole or free in yourself and in your relationship with money, please reach out and book a discovery session with us. You can book that by going to jenniferlove.com and filling out a short and easy discovery form that will help me and the team prepare so we can really show up and explore how to best support you. And will you take just a moment right now and give this show a stellar rating on the channel you're tuning into so that someone who could really benefit from its magic will receive it. I deeply, deeply appreciate you. May you have a blessed day.